Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today in our series on addressing the increasing decline of the youngest generation's encouragement to attend and be active in a local church, we will focus on the role of the whole community. Specifically in regards to our church's tradition of welcoming children into the community through baptism, we'll examine Jesus' command for our ongoing responsibility to model our faith to our children from a genuine motivation and love for Jesus. Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful for the food ministry. And the primary change that we made uh, a month ago was removing it from being a responsibility only of the few to becoming a responsibility of the whole, of the many. You know, in in a body, there are certain things uh, that are specified responsibilities. Uh, your, your pancreas has a specific responsibility, right? That the eye serves a purpose unique uh, from the big toe, right? There, there's, there's many times specialization within a body, but every now and then there are certain tasks that belong to the whole, that the whole body needs to be a part of. You could think of some being like getting up in the morning. Anybody leave a body part at home today? Nope, your, your whole body got up in the morning or showering, Hopefully the whole body's involved in showering or uh, just being present. Uh, I've uh, discovered that one in my own marriage. Uh, there was time sitting on the couch with my, my wife. Uh, she was wanting to tell me all about her day. And I was there scrolling through Facebook. And, and she said, are, are you listening? I said, of course I'm, I'm listening. Uh, wasn't fully present according to her uh, desires there. You could see there are certain times that the entire body needs to show up and to be present. One of these areas within the church is that of our children. It is not only to the specified gifts of those who are Sunday school teachers or those given the privilege and responsibility as parents. There must be an engagement across the whole body that we all come to the plate. We all come to bear a responsibility to help our children to grow up in the faith, particularly in a church like ours. Um, I, I originally was going to title this message um, uh, Baptism and Community because this is one burden that I've carried for a long time since I've been here, that our tradition is to enter with, with into the church our children through the sacrament of baptism or the rite of baptism, uh, understanding the whole while that baptism and the water itself does not save you, but making sure that our focus upon those moments is to the Excuse me, to the parents and to the sponsors and then to the whole church. You might recall as you've been part of those services that I'll stand and I'll turn. And really what we're doing in that moment is the parents coming to dedicate this child to the Lord. I will say to the whole congregation and do you by your lives pledge to live before this child an active faith such that you will teach them through your words and your actions what it means to express a faith and a love in Jesus Christ. And everybody says what? Yeah, everybody says, sure, we'll do that. And, and really? Think about this for a moment now. Y'all said you were going to do that. Are we actually doing that? Uh, I want us to make sure that we take a, a sober reminder and understand the weightiness of living within God's family. So I've entitled this message, uh, It Takes a Family. And looking specifically to the role of the community of Christ followers with reference to raising our kids in the faith. You might recognize 
the phrase I stole here from a politician, it takes a village. You might remember that one, right? I think that was a little more too focused on how children are you, you know, connected to the government, government responsibilities. I would humbly object that it doesn't take a village. It takes a family. And that family dynamic is seen, first of all, within the home. Uh, but there in some homes where we don't have a mom and a dad or where circumstances are such that for whatever reason one have to be absent for a while, there is a larger family that is involved. Both grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, and then the brother and sisterhood of the family of God to come and be part of the journey of, of really committing ourselves, just like we do when we practice baptism, just like we do then to say, I'm pledging myself to help raise this child along with those sponsors, along with that mom and dad, uh, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to this end, we're going to study a passage uh, that is somewhat obscure in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to read through uh, chapter 18, verses 1, all the way to 14. And we're going to work through four primary observations that then we're going to see if we can carry with us that we can better obey God's word today. 1400. Page 1400 in the, in the Pew Bibles. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, uh, Matthew records the story in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked... Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two and be thrown into the fires of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hill and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That's an amazing passage. Uh, humbling, just, just to again put yourself in that situation and, and feel, even as the disciples heard the humbling aspect of the attention that Jesus is drawing for the sake of the community upon the children. Uh, 
Uh, this passage is repeated in the synoptics. It shows up in Mark. It shows up in Luke. A little bit different. Each time one of the gospel evangelists is going to uh, remind the readers about Jesus' story to a slightly different uh, goal and endeavor. And I uh, sincerely believe that this account even happened uh, multiple times in Jesus' ministry. Uh, at least as we find recorded between Matthew and Luke's gospel. Just to begin with, I want, I want to start out with asking the question... What do you think the disciples were seeking in this context? What was it they had at the forefront of their minds? What were they looking for? Did you catch it there in verse 1? They wanted to know who is the, who's the greatest. Boy, these guys sometimes. Uh, in fact, we have another example where James and John uh, pulled Jesus aside. And they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. I think they got like a Brooklyn accent when they asked this. They said, we want you to appoint one of us to sit at your right hand and one of us to sit at your left hand. Uh, Jesus asks them if, uh, I, I almost wonder his demeanor in response to that, but do you think that you can be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And frankly, Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know, know those places. The really funny part, I think, about that story, uh, a little bit later, it says, and when the other ten heard about what James and John asked, they became, and in the NIV it has the word indignant. What face do you think indignant looks like? Yeah, because they wanted to be the greatest. Now, nobody here this morning is guilty of that, right? That's nobody here. That doesn't happen in America, right? I, I want us to make sure we understand that if we are going to properly invest in our children's future to pass the faith onto them, it starts in the heart. It starts and it ends after what we're seeking after. Uh, the disciples thought there was a hierarchy in heaven. They thought there were some who were greatest and some that were least, and they wanted to be among the greatest. And whatever that was going to take, that's how they were going to try to find their way there. Jesus says in another place in Matthew's gospel, he says, I don't want any of you to, to refer to anybody as rabbi or anybody to refer to anybody as father. He says, you are all brothers. Isn't that amazing? This is the fantastic part about coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus in the cross is the great equalizer among men. You're all siblings, brothers and sisters. And if that's true, this is the part I want to press upon. That means we're in the same family. We're all in the same family. That's significant when it comes to your pledge of saying, yes, I, I promise to live my life before these little ones at their baptism or at their dedication that I would help to lead them to faith. If you think church is just a place that you can attend and, and then leave and go elsewhere, I, I think you're getting it wrong. To come and to belong to a local expression of the body of Christ is to say, I was talking to Helen about this. She didn't know I was going to talk about her this morning, but I was talking to her about this this morning and she said, yeah, she said the whole congregation is on the hook. That's what Helen said. <laughs> on the hook. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She got it exactly right. When we come into a place to collectively be, be willing to, to be patient with one another, to forgive one another. There is no specialization for gifting in the body that only a few have to deal with the kids. It's collective to the whole body. We all have to show up for work when it comes to helping the children because we're all part of the same family. Everybody with me on that? So let's look at a few observations. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> the family of God, therefore, must welcome children. That's it. That's number one. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to I'm going to save for another sermon, verses two, three, and four, that I believe have to do with the defense 
to something that's referred to as an age of accountability. If you want to hear more about that, come to Bible study on Wednesday and ask me about that. Um, For today, I want to focus here on more of the the things that are given in terms of responsibility to the community. But uh, this is a really important passage for understanding uh, the, the gift of faith that God has given to children implicitly. And a faith that is actually in Jesus Christ, as verse 6 says. But I'm going to skip that for now. If you look in verse 5, he says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Not only that, if you jump to verse 10, you'll notice again the command here from Jesus. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. You must be willing to welcome them. That word welcome in the original language means to receive, to accept, to make as one of your own. That's what it means to welcome somebody. You guys know what this is like. You had, a, you had someone come over to your house. Or maybe you've gone to visit someone at someone's house. If you're, if you're only ever standing in the, in, in the <clears throat> cusp of the doorway, do you feel very welcome? No. What, what do people say when you come over? Come on in. Take your shoes off. Right? We want you to feel right at home. Right? That's what it means. It's, it's to treat what you have as though it were theirs. You are, you're one of us. You're with us. Now, let's be the first to be honest here. Uh, it's tough dealing with kids sometimes, right? I mean, any amens here this morning? Kids are messy. Kids are noisy. Kids are, frankly, a little smelly sometimes. I, I remember hearing from one person who um, uh, left, uh, left the church, and they were commenting about their new one. They said, oh, our new church is so good. Uh, the kids are so much more well-behaved. You, you know, I'm so grateful that you have the patience to, after the service is over, let kids feel at home here in this. This is just a building is all it is. Now, we do need to remind parents every now and then to keep them under control, right? Because kids, what? They're messy and they're loud and they're boisterous. But kids are kids. And if you can imagine what it might feel like on their end to be scolded, do you think they feel welcome? There, there was uh, once... Uh, some some visitors that came to church. It wasn't this church. It was, a, it was a church that I was part of, though. And they came and they sat kind of right there over where Carl's at in the back. <clears throat> that seat, however, that the visitors sat in, that was somebody else's regular seat where they always <laughs> sat. And so when the regular members came in, they came to their pew and counted it right off. And instead of saying good morning, they said, you're in my seat. <laughs> Guess what happened to those visitors? Yeah, they, they never came back. Um, what, are we welcoming our children? Do they, do they feel welcome? Do they feel that they belong? This must happen in the family of God. We must welcome them. Uh, my, my little daughter is, is great at this. Uh, and little kids are when you come home. Uh, they, they run it and she'll put her arms up like this, right at me. You know what she wants? She wants me to do what? Pick her up and make her one of my own. Right? That's the privilege that we have. That's a responsibility to the whole body. Anywhere this fails, we find the whole body is failing. We must together be welcoming to children. Secondly, this is this. The family of God must never lead a child into sin. <clears throat> now, you might think, uh, let me kind of make, make sense of this for you. You might think, oh, I ain't no problem. Like, I'm going to make a kid sin. My goodness. Of course not. I never do that. Here's the problem. We have, in our culture and in probably every one of our homes, 
we have grown too accustomed to the frequency and presence of sin that doesn't belong there. Let me ask you the question. Does God take sin seriously? What do you think? Did you see it in the text? Look look with me in uh, verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and drowned? Jesus. Really? That's what... That is serious. Like, uh, capital punishment here in a way that's uh, pretty, pretty demeaning for the individual. Get to, get to heaven. What happened to you? I got drowned by a millstone. How'd you get a millstone tied around your neck? What Jesus' point here is not to send them to hell. I don't want you to think that this is a reference to hell. Uh, Jesus' reference here is that if you in your life are perpetuating any kind of sin that's modeled in your behavior, your actions, your words, or in your home, that your kids would walk in that sin themselves, it would be better for you to have your life cut short now than to actually have them led to a, to a place <clears throat> where they reject Jesus because they don't see sin as sin. It's serious. It's so serious. In fact, if you can continue, you might say, Pastor, I get it. Well, Jesus don't quit there, so I ain't going to quit there. Look at verse 7. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Uh, <clears throat> the word woe is a word of shame for impending punishment. That's what woe means. Like, you got it coming, man. Um, it's, it's what, what happened uh, when my sister and I were young, and I would, I'd push her, and she'd say, Dad! And then she'd look at me with woe in her eyes, because she knew I was going to get it. <clears throat> Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Look at this. <clears throat> if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. What's he say about your eye? Your eye causes you sin to what? Now, let's, let's be honest, folks. Let's just be honest in church this morning. If we obeyed this, what, what, what would it look like in church this morning? <laughs> Bunch of wheelchairs is what it would look like. Bunch of, y'all be reading in Braille, right? That's what it would look like. So I, I want you to understand, Jesus is not speaking here literally. He's speaking in hyperbole, um, meaning you need to take sin so seriously. You need to take it seriously. And th- this would be the example that I would, I would give you. Um, sin is deadly. Amen? Amen. Okay? It's, it's, like, it's like a loaded gun. That's what I want to say sin is like. Let go with me on this metaphor. Imagine a home where you were coming over to visit and you saw the kids playing there and there were the, the Tonka trucks and, and, and little Susie's playing over here and little Billy's over there and he's playing with blocks, right? And then in between them you know, are some puzzle pieces, some other little toys and a loaded gun. Imagine that. Now, when that gun goes off, it's going to do great harm. Who's to blame for allowing that dangerous, deadly mechanism to remain unaddressed in the home? Who's to blame for that? It's the parents. And this is why we need one another as well in the church to, to encourage one another. The Bible says repeatedly, encourage one another in love and good deeds until you see the day of Christ coming, because we need to hold each other accountable, not in a judgmental kind of a way, but in a way that says, look, I've seen this pattern in my own life. I know I want to come alongside. How can I encourage you to to, to help follow Jesus more closely? Because just as sin is deadly in the life of a human being, you know, the, the gun would be deadly in the life of the child. And I fear that in some of our homes, we've just grown so used to sinful habits. They're just laying around. 
And the kids may not have found them yet, but they're still laying there. We need to make sure that we don't become in any way remotely guilty of leading a child into sin because we have failed to take it seriously. Right? Are we all on the same page with that? Jesus is trying to get you to take sin seriously. All right, number three is this. The family of God must give special attention to the wandering child. We must give special attention to the wandering child. In verse 10, uh, there's this really cool passage. Um, See to it that no one, none of you looks down on these little ones. Watch this now. For I tell you that they're angels in heaven Always see the face of my Father in heaven. That's kind of, this is a very curious verse here. Um, there's not a lot of places in the New Testament that talk about uh, the nature of angels in regard uh, to uh, Christ followers, but there are a few. In the book of Hebrews, we're told angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who would inherit eternal life. Uh, This passage right here would fall in line with some rabbinical teachings, uh, even some apocryphal teachings uh, um, that that talk about how there is a guardian angel. Do you guys remember that comic back back in the day? You know the one I'm talking about? A family circus? Was that the name of it? All I remember is there was a little boy running around uh, and you saw the trail of him jumping over logs and playing, hitting the snake. And then uh, there's broken glass there and his guardian angel following him just like, just like, just wore out chasing this little kid down, right? Uh, that's a little bit of the idea here, but I don't think that's why Jesus says it. I think the purpose of Jesus talking about angels is not to perpetuate an idea that every child has a little guardian angel over them, though that may be what is the case. I think the reason that Jesus says this is because he wants us to carry the same value God has. The angels are watching over who? The little children, right? And then it says in the text, um, they... Uh, I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The idea being that God's care over the interests of the little children is always fully and continually before his eyes. God's watching over the kids. For sure he is. Boy, it's hard sometimes when that, that one little kid that doesn't fit in. Was that you? I know that was me growing up. Can, can you identify that? You just didn't fit in. And kind of, kind of that pain of feeling like you were a, a lost little sheep sometimes. Jesus says, here's what it's like. You want to know what the Father's love is like for the, petition, for the petition of having the community give care? It's like a farmer who has sheep. What does a farmer do if he loses one? He goes to find it. Because the farmer loves that little sheep. Now, you'll hear many preachers talk about how the farmer breaks the leg and carries him back. I just need to tell you that's not in the Bible. Like that, that might be, that might preach well. The idea that he has to break your leg to keep from running off. It's just not in the Bible, right? We can save that for a sermon illustration some other time. I do want you to see what it says here. It says in verse 13, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier. Do you see it? God loves to find those little wayward ones. And the ones, do you know who those are for us? Those are the noisiest, smelliest, stinkiest, rambunk. Those are the ones right there that God cares the most about. And we, as the family of God, need to give attention to that. To make sure that we're willing to chase them down, being motivated like like God, by love. All right, fourthly and lastly is this. Uh, The family of God must delight in Jesus. And thereafter, model Jesus. 
I think of the, of the four observations, I think this is the more, most important one. And I, I want to be honest with you, I really struggled with this uh, passage this week. Um, in verse 5, uh, watch this. He says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. What? Welcoming a little child is welcoming Jesus. Do you see that? As much as I wrap my head around and read commentators on what does this mean that you're actually welcoming Jesus, it finally occurred to me that the answer is found in the context. Do you remember what it was that these disciples had at the forefront of their minds? What was it? Who is the... Who are they thinking about? They were thinking about themselves. What it means to welcome a little child is to be welcoming Jesus is simply this. It's a redirecting of your greatest desire. That instead of you thinking highly about yourself, you're thinking highly about this little one who can offer you nothing in return. Because that's what Jesus would do. And so when you love a little child, you will be loving the things that Jesus loves as if you were welcoming Jesus himself. I believe that's what this means. That when you pay attention and when you make room for and when you say, come and, come and have a little snack and, and when you give them a, a, an encouragement, especially those rambunctious ones, that what you're doing is you are no longer thinking about your comfort. You're no longer thinking about your food or your seat. You are now thinking about those who are less than you. And this, again, is the most beautiful thing about the cross, the great equalizer among men and women. It's not simply that the cross takes the high and mighty and brings them low. For, for we know that's true, right? Now, do you get the higher places in heaven because you're rich? What do you think? Because no. you look good? No. no, no. So the cross of Jesus says you're all guilty of sin and by grace through faith we come to find forgiveness. And that's an equal playing ground to take the high and to bring them low. But this text right here, do you know what it's saying? It's actually saying that it takes the low and does what with them? It brings them high. Isn't that amazing? Here Jesus is saying, and, and we could turn to a lot of other places to find the same type of teaching, that those who are really hurting in our world, those who are really having a hard time, those low ones, those are the ones that you are called to do what? Lift up. And those high ones that think they're so great, be, be careful showing favoritism to them. In fact, I want you to hold your spot here and go to the book of James. Just turn into your New Testament way close towards the back after the book of Hebrews, the book of James. We're just going to read just a few verses and then we'll conclude with our application. James chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're still searching, say Lord help me. 1721? 1721 in the Pew Bible. James chapter 1. Look in verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. 
Do you see what James is saying here? You can turn back to Matthew now. Do you see what he says? That within the family of God, there ought to be a leveling because of the cross. The high humble themselves and come low, and the humble are lifted up to be brought high. Uh, the, The last thing I want to point out here is not only does your delight need to be in Jesus, but thereafter, you and I begin to model what that looks like. And the place where you and I can see this clearest of all is in verse 14. So this is our our last verse here uh, that we read this morning, chapter 18. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So how about you? If that's God's heart, do you see it? If God's heart is that not any of the little ones will be lost, what should your heart be? It should be the same. That's right. And if you look back into verse 5, he says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. That there, there is a kind of modeling that happens for the Christian in the church. That we would live and act and look like Jesus. Because our greatest desire is not for our greatness. That we're, we'll be high in heaven. But our greatest desire is that we desire Jesus. I want Jesus. You want Jesus? Then find the most stinkiest kid in our church and give him a big hug. He says, when you welcome a little child like that in my name, you welcome me. So what do we do with this? Like just a couple applications. Number one, uh, questions here. Are we a welcoming church? Are we a welcoming church? The opposite of this would be that we're seeking our own comfort, our own rights. That you're, in my, you're in my seat. That, that, that's the opposite of this, of being a welcoming church. I wonder if we could ask the question, if you think all the kids in our church today feel glad that they're here. There was a, I'm going to date myself a little bit. There was a song, a theme song of a show called Cheers a long time ago. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. That sounds like what the church should be, right? It, are we? Let's ask ourselves that question. Are we a welcoming church? Number two, are we taking an active stance Against sin. Now, I want you to see immediately these two need to be held in tension. Uh, (laughs) Did any sinners come to church today? Were they welcomed? Well, which is it? Are you taking a stance against sin or are you? Well, do you see the problem? How how do we do both of these? It, It seems to me that churches either fall on one side or the other. Either they're so welcoming that they're like, ah, don't worry about your sin. Like, uh, everybody's fine, and you're fine, and it's okay. We don't take that seriously. We don't preach about sin because they focus on welcoming. Or a church falls on the other side, and you walk in, and they're all like, mm-hmm. Let's just see. We'll see. We'll see how you last, right? That, that they're so judgmental over sin. So let, let me see if I can clear this up for us. This needs to be a question that you don't ask of each other, but you ask of yourself. Everybody with me? When number two comes into play, are we taking an active stance against sin? Patient number one is you. Am am I in my life taking an active stance against sin in my life? You all know what Jesus says on this, right? Why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you got a two by four sticking out of your own? You, You need to first remove the log in your eye and then help your neighbor and then help them to see, not in a judging way, but in a family way. 
in a way that helps unify the family and calls one another with encouragement to follow after Jesus. And here's the best way I want to give you to do that. Everybody ready for this? I think this is key. The church and Christians need to be better at identifying the difference between the sin and the sinner. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, he says, the good I know I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I keep on doing. He says, if I agree with God's law, then it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. But Paul helps us identify that you and I have a component that's foreign. You have a parasite, you have a disease, you have something that should not belong in your life. It's called sin. Now, the condemnation that would come and that which was paid by death of Jesus Christ on the cross was because of sin. But when it comes to sin in the church, we need to make sure that we're loving the sinner. Love the sinner. Welcome the sinner. Every one of them little kids are sinners. You got to love them. But we ought to also hate the... You guys with me on this? Give me an amen if you're with me on this. Love the sinner... Hate the sin. Can we say that together? Ready? Love the sinner. Hate the sin. And I, th- I think that's the right, that's the balance, that's the tension between these two. Um, thirdly is this. Are we searching out those who are lost? Are we searching out those who are lost? Uh, I think of, boy, I don't want to name any names here. Uh, he is a prominent camp director. I'll just let you think of who that might be. And he, he tells me when he was small, uh, he struggled with ADHD and he was, he was just, just uncontrollable in the church. He was one of these stinky, rowdy kids is what he was when he was small. Um, and you know what? Um, for most of his friends that uh, were similar to that, we'd be getting into trouble that with that little curiosity that kills the cat, you know, he was the one and his friends who are gone from the church except there was a man in his church growing up that pulled him under his wing when he had all that energy and just couldn't hold it in and loved on him and welcomed him and helped show him by his life what sin looked like and how to act and how to live. There, there's wandering kids that are out there. They're lost. Um, we have kids in our own church that are, are a little bit rambunctious. I, I want you to name who you think it is on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. No, don't do that. That means they're big. <laughs> But you all thought of somebody, right? You, you all think, yeah, that's the one. It's Micah, I'm sure, right? No, uh, no you, you, here's the thing. Whoever comes to your mind, if you think, which is the rowdiest of the, of the bunch here, guess what? That's the one that you need to put your arm around. That's the one you need to welcome because that's the one who will grow up to become the Christian camp director, serving the Lord because you passed on the faith to them. All right, I'm going to preach you. Last one. Are we... Seeking Jesus. Just like verse 5. If you welcome a little child, you welcome me. It's a change of perspective. Are we thinking, no, I need to be comfortable. I want to be great. Or are we refocused to say, my desire is not myself. My desire is not greatness. My desire is Jesus. That is my desire. And maybe you answer that this morning and you say, yeah. Yeah, I think we're doing that. Are we, are we going about that the right way? Are we really seeking to follow Jesus? Because you're all in church, right? I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, pastor, we love Jesus. That's why we're here. Um, How about how we're going about it? Uh, It was years ago, I took my family to uh, Disney in Orlando. 
And uh, my wife loved it. I did not love it so much. And on the last day, if you've ever been, if you've ever been to the, the Magic Kingdom, is that what it's called? Help me out here. Is that what it's called? Yeah, with, the, yeah with all the people. Um, at, 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 the end, at the end of the day, every day, they have fireworks and they have this huge parade with all these people going down the street, right? Well, we were on the opposite side and the staff at Orlando, they very dil- diligently make sure that everybody who isn't going to watch the parade is not interfering with the parade because they don't want anybody to walk across, right? Um, and, and I have Micah, and Micah's only two or three years old. And we're leaving like the next day. And here's the parade. And my wife's saying, you're going to miss the parade. You're going to miss the parade. And so I start walking. He's on my shoulders. And we start walking towards the, the parade. And these, um, these staff members keep saying, oh, I'm sorry. It's already started. You can't make it. And I'm walking right through them. I'm just like, I ain't listening. And, and they're like chasing me. Before I know it, there's like a, a herd of them. And I'm walking faster because, you know what? We're going to have fun whether we like it or not. That's what we came here for. So we are going to have fun. Let's not pretend that we don't do that in church sometimes. We're, we're going to worship God whether we like it or not. And those kids need to quiet it down. And, and, and hold on, time out. I know we love Jesus. But are we going about it the right way? You, you, you will come and you will show up and you'll miss it all. You'll miss the moment. Because you've, you haven't checked your heart on what your greatest desire is. It's going to take sacrifice and it's going to take effort. And so for the very last slide I have, I want us to change the pronoun. Because for every one of these, you here sitting here this morning might be like, yeah, we're a welcoming church. Someone's doing that. I'm sure the greeters do a great job, right? Or uh, taking an active stance against sin. The pastor's really good at that. Yeah, he's doing that. And you might be thinking this is always somebody else's job. I want you to replace the we with a you. And ask the question, am I doing this? Am I a welcoming church member? Am I actively taking a stance against sin? Am I really searching out those who are lost? Am I really seeking Jesus? Because this is not optional. You guys with me? This is not optional. The whole body has to come to work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.